0: Hello and good morning, Church. Happy New Year to everybody um, joining us here for the first time this year. Whether you're a part of a regular family here or visiting us for uh, the first few times during this vacation, a very warm welcome. We are so glad that you can join us this morning. And uh, my name is Andrew. As Austin said, you have the rookie team here um, Sunday uh, this, this Sunday, and it's the same. You know when. When the cat's away, the mice will play. And, uh, and there you have it. I hope you, uh, you've got the interns today and, and Austin and I, and we're going to have a ball of the time. Um, but seriously, it's, it's good uh, to be with you all this morning as we kickstart uh, a new three-week series uh, over the summer break. And it's called A Heart for Here. And as a, as a pastoral team, our hope for this series is that we would, as a church may appreciate afresh the beauty of the local church. And that as the body of Christ that gathers here in Wurunga, week in, week out on a Sunday, that our love and affection for the local church may grow and be deepened. And that this overflows into the decisions we make, the risks we take for ourselves and our families, for the glory of our God. And as we kickstart the series today, we'll be unpacking a glorious passage that highlights where it all begins. And this is where the story starts for all who follow Jesus, for me, for you, and for us as a church. This is where it all begins. So please turn your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to read all the way to to verse 14. So please turn your Bibles to Ephesians 1, verse 3. we We're going to read to verse 14. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Please pray with me. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And indeed, it is so rich, filled with so many marvelous things about you and your purposes for us. And Lord, at times our our mere human minds may struggle to see and to appreciate And so now, Lord, we pray that you would give us spiritual eyes so that we can truly appreciate and savour the many glorious truths contained in this text. And we pray, Lord, that as we go through it, the excitement that grabbed Paul may equally be shared to us thousands of years later as we reflect on all these truths as revealed in your text this morning. Oh Lord, we we need you. We need your illumination this morning. Awaken our taste buds and stir our love and affections for you. And so we ask now, come Holy Spirit, do your work in us now as I speak. And may it all be the praise of your glorious grace. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, church, as we start a new year, many of us, we like to take stock on where we are in life, don't we? We, uh, we review our lives and we, we tend to come up with some form of a New Year's resolution, in a bit big or small. For instance, we can look back at 2022 and we may ask ourselves this question What things am I thankful for in 2022? What things went well? You could have started a new job or, or got a new promotion uh, in 2022, and your role's going well. You're getting good pay getting recognised, and perhaps even in line for another promotion this coming year. And so as you look forward to this year, 2023, you resolve to keep sowing into your job, growing and developing and investing in that. Or perhaps you look back at 2022. Actually, it's been a year of of trials and and hardships, whether it's financial, um, and you resolve to find another job with higher pay, or it could be as simple as looking in the mirror, Realising you ate too much ham over Christmas and your waistline has blown out and you're saying things can't go on like this and you get it resolved to start exercising twice a week rain, hail or shine. But my point is this New Year resolutions and the decisions we make are often shaped by our desires, what we value, and taking stock of where we are in life and making those changes. And these are, in and of themselves, good practices. But my hope this morning is that as we approach this new year, that the one overriding primary factor that we should be able to shape our decisions and purposes in life in 2023, and indeed every year that the Lord gives us on this earth, is to appreciate what God has done for you, what God is continuing to do in the present, and what he will do for you in the future. And this is all tied up in understanding and grasping of God's sovereign grace towards us. In my prayer this morning is that we, as we unpack this rich doctrine from a text we just read, that our love, that our affections, our devotions, our decisions and actions, our everything, would be shaped first and foremost by God's sovereign grace towards us. And that as we do so, we will develop a love and affection for God and for this local church. So one simple hope this morning is that we would delight in God's amazing sovereign grace towards us. So I've entitled this message, Sovereign Grace, where it all begins. So three points this morning. Sovereign grace, why is it so amazing? Sovereign grace why is it so unsettling and thirdly our response so firstly sovereign grace why is it so amazing well in today's passage paul starts off with a praise in verse 3 he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ blessed meaning he's he's praising he's exalting and he's worshiping god the Apostle Paul is praising and exalting God as he begins to reflect on all these truths. And he can't help but be excited. He's pumped. And in the following verses, he unpacks why. All the way from verse 3 to 14. And actually, in, in the original Greek, it's actually one big, gigantic sentence. And obviously in English, you've got all these comments and full stop. But in the original Greek, it's one sentence. As if he's in a, in a candy store. You know, a little child in a candy store, he's tasting all these lollies, and whoa, I can't believe all these tasty, tasty treats. And Paul is doing the same thing as he unpacks, as he reflects on all these marvelous truths. He can't help but praise God in it. And this is what he's experiencing as he ponders all these truths. It's like a fireworks going off. So why is Paul excited? Verse 3 tells us why. Read me in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who has he blessed? Us. But who is us? It's actually not everyone. Verse 1 gives us a clue. The letter is addressed to the church in Ephesians. Those who are the saints those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So in short, the blessing is reserved only for believers, not for all. And the great news is that he's done it. It's blessed, it's past tense. And this blessing, as we note, is also only in Christ. And as we unpack the following verses, you'll see why it's repeated many, many times. But suffice to say here that all blessings only come through and effected, through Christ, meaning there is no blessing outside of Christ. All our blessings are given to us in Christ. And also, it's every spiritual blessing, not some. Heaven has opened its gates and has poured out its blessing, there is none left for heaven to give. Every spiritual blessing in Christ has been given to us, all those who follow Christ Jesus. And in the following verses, Paul then unpacks what this spiritual blessing is. And in fact, it's so theologically rich and dense that one can easily preach dozens of sermons out of this. But we've got one day today to go for all that. So I'm going to only briefly touch upon each of these spiritual blessings and then really zoom in to show you that at the heart of all this spiritual blessing, the gold nugget, if you like, which holds all of these together, is God's glorious amazing, sovereign grace towards us. So let me start. What, what is this spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? There are at least six that we can find in this text. And as we go through it, imagine you're looking at a diamond. And each spiritual blessing, as we go through it, each of these six are like different aspects of a diamond, each adding to the clarity and beauty of this spiritual blessing. Well, spiritual blessing number one, we are chosen to be holy and blameless. Verse 4, read with me. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He, God, chose us. We didn't choose Him. By choosing us, it also means that He didn't choose everyone. There are some He didn't choose, but He chose me. That is amazing what's even more breathtaking, he chose us before the foundations of the world. Get this, before the heaven and the earth took shape, before the first star was spun into the night skies, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. This is mind-warping. This is before we were even created, before we can even lift a finger, do anything good or think of anything good surely he did not choose us on the basis of having done anything good. In fact, the converse is probably true. In verse 4, it says God chose us, what? In him, in Christ. I mean, Paul didn't have to mention those two words. And surely if we hadn't even sinned yet, he could have chosen us holy and blameless. Yet he chose us in Christ because the only way he can choose us is that we are in Christ because he knows we are guilty. And let that sit for a second, friends. We are guilty, yet we get to be holy and blameless before because he chose us. And what's the significance? Because we are holy and blameless and because God is holy and he dwells in an unapproachable light, that means that we can have a communion and we can have fellowship with God. That's a blessing. Spiritual blessing number two, we are predestined to be adopted. Read with me verse five. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? He could have stopped short at choosing us to be holy and blameless and to dwell in his presence. And we would be shouting for joy. But he, God, did not stop there. He made us to relate to him as children. And we get to call God the creation, the creator of everything, we get to call him our father. And as children of the Lord, think of the security, think of the assurance, and think of the love from the father. And what's even more amazing, he effected the adoption through, what? Predestination. Our adoption status was determined in advance in his divine sovereign will to relate to him as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And put it another way, there's only one destiny of all those who follow Jesus to be his children. How assuring is that? Spiritual blessing number three, we are redeemed. In verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's the first time in this passage We see the idea of trespasses and guilt being introduced. It's a reflection of our condition. And what a grave condition it is. I mean, turn to Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sin. That's the effect of a trespass against God. Trespass makes us spiritually dead. And what did God do? What is the spiritual blessing? He redeemed us in the blood of his beloved, in verse 6. Redemption, which is a concept used many times in the Old Testament, can be seen as a release by payment. And God made the payment using the blood of his one and only son, his beloved, to release us from following the course of the world, from being the objects of his wrath. And having done so in Christ, he set aside the record of debt, at a great cost to him. It's a cost he foresaw in all wisdom and insight in verse 8. And having done so, he lavished his grace on us. And in many ways, it is this aspect of a spiritual blessing that all others come into effect. In the legal world, it's like the operative clause. It makes all that of a Christ, over in him, in Christ, through Jesus come alive. Because it's the blood of Jesus spilt for us, we get to be chosen in him, that we are predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ. Spiritual blessing number four, making known to us his will. Let's read from the second part of verse 7 to 9. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So another aspect of a spiritual blessing that Paul talks about is an overflow of the riches of his grace, we read in verse 7, is that he makes known to us the mystery of his will. We get a glimpse into the mystery of his will and how amazing that the God of all heavens and earth shares with us his will. Without this spiritual blessing, we cannot know his will, but now we do, verse 10, that he is bringing all things under Christ. That includes all those God chose and predestined for holiness, for redemption, for adoption, are being united and brought together under Christ. This is the church. Spiritual blessing number five: We have obtained an inheritance. Verse eleven: We have obtained an inheritance. This is the further implication and outworking of being adopted as His children. We read in verse five, and that as children of God, we have obtained and inheritance from him for God of all creation who owns all things and now we get to share in that that's unbelievable as Romans 8:17 says we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ and finally spiritual blessing number 6 we were sealed with the holy spirit in verse 13 which reads in him you also were sealed with a promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? So not only do we have an inheritance, this inheritance is guaranteed. The Holy Spirit is given to us is the guarantee until we acquire possession of it. Now, normally in a, in a lending transaction, when you go to a bank, if a borrower defaults, a guarantee, a guarantor steps in to ensure the loan is repaid. And in this case, the inheritance is guaranteed by who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. If it doesn't happen, who steps in? It's the third person of the Trinity. It is God himself. God will make sure that you get your inheritance. And this is a done deal. It cannot be revoked. So friends, we've just flown through these six aspects of a spiritual blessing and they're all marvellous and beautiful insight into what God has blessed us with. This is the spiritual reality for all those who believe and put their trust in Jesus. And each one is amazing and deserving of pausing and expanding and together makes a symphony of grand proportions and hope it serves to wet your taste buds. But as good as each one is and considered in totality, at the heart the centre of it all, there's something that makes each and every one of these spiritual blessings even more beautiful. The question I have to ask is this, on what basis did God bless us with these spiritual blessings? On what basis have we been made holy and blameless, adopted and redeemed, being made known His will? On what basis have we obtained an inheritance and guaranteed an inheritance? Is it our faith? Is it our good works? Is it something about us? And we've already touched upon it in our passage today with terms like chosen and predestined. But on what basis are we chosen by God and predestined by God? And the answer is actually listed throughout the text this morning. We are chosen and predestined. it is in verse 5 according to the purpose of his will. He redeemed us and forgave us, verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, and there it is in verse 9, according to his purpose. Friends, we are chosen and predestined because of his free and sovereign will and purposes for us. And again, in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. And Paul goes deeper. What is the basis of this predestination? Verse 11, having been predestined, what? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Friends, this is mind-blowing. All this choosing, all this predestining boils down to his good and pleasurable will, his sovereign purpose. And all the spiritual blessings rest on what God wants to get done. His all-good, pleasurable, and sovereign grace and love towards us. Nothing else. We contribute nothing. Our God does not take counsel or advice from anything or anyone other than his own will. And God is the decisive cause that we, and not others, become beneficiaries of this spiritual blessing. But more than that, check out this little, another gold nugget. Not only is it his will and his purpose, God is the one who, in verse 11, says, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Isn't that comforting? He is a sovereign Lord who will bring about His plan. He works all, all, all things to bring this about. In other words, there is nothing outside of God that is decisive in what He brings about. Notice also, He doesn't just work in all things, but He works all things. All things come together to bring about His plan, His purposes, and what He wills, he brings about with all his power available to him. Friends, doesn't that make the spiritual blessing even more beautiful? It's because God's will alone and nothing else that he pours out his grace upon us. It is his good, pleasurable, decisive will alone that he chose us to be holy and blameless. His will alone that predestines you for adoption and gives you and guarantees you and inheritance. His amazing sovereign grace is the basis of us being the recipients of all His goodness towards us. Now we go as far as saying that if we miss this bit, we miss it all. Because we may see the beauty of of each of these spiritual blessings, but if it's not assured, it's only good to look at. How do you know that next week, next month, next year, in the decades to come, that we will continue to put our faith in Jesus, continue to follow Christ? What gives you the assurance that you wake up this tomorrow morning but you still profess Christ as your Lord and Savior? The answer, His amazing sovereign grace towards us. Friends, this is more than a doctrinal point. Something to be argued about it has life-changing implications. It will transform our lives and make us strong and steady, humble people. And just take a breath here and just marvel at his amazing sovereign grace towards us. So church, can you begin to see why Paul is so excited? That God is the source of all our blessing. For all who follow Jesus, we too can share in that excitement. And how do we become the recipient of his grace? It is all rooted in his glorious purpose, his good and glorious will, his sovereignty, and all power that's available to him to make these spiritual blessings fall upon us and we contribute nothing. He has done it all. My friends, this is high and rich theology and it should cause us to praise and Paul couldn't hold himself back. But at times, if we're honest, and for some, God's sovereign choice in election and grace is unsettling. It rubs us in an uncomfortable way, doesn't it? I want to spend some time unpacking this, why that might be the case, and point to sovereign grace. Why is it so unsettling? <clears throat> well, firstly, it may be unsettling because on its face, It doesn't accord with our own experience in coming to know God. Didn't we choose and put our faith in Jesus? And that as we put our faith in him that we are saved, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, that's true. Faith is indeed instrumental in one being saved. Indeed, the Apostle Paul, after his high theology about the the sovereignty of God, his choosing, his predestining, and he mentions this, Come to me to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. What contributed to the salvation and receiving the spiritual blessing in Christ? Is it not, as Paul says, that someone sharing the gospel and then you hearing it and then believing it? or having faith in it, that you receive the spiritual blessing of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of inheritance? Yes, that's true. And so this is not inconsistent with what happened in verses 3 to 12. The point is this. The exercising of our free will by hearing and believing and putting our faith in the gospel is not contrary to God's choice and his predestination. And Apostle Paul surely doesn't see any Contradiction as he lays it all out. In fact, we jump down to Ephesians 2 again, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The point is this, we were dead, unable to respond. We were following and captivated by the spirits of the world, too intoxicated for us to choose God. And by nature, we are objects of his wrath. Man, it's it's bad to be dead, but it's horrific to be under the wrath of the living God. And we often mistakenly think that we are on neutral territory. We're able to choose. However, not knowing that if we are left to our own devices, we would never, ever choose God. The only reason we can choose God is because He chose us and did a regeneration in our hearts. Ephesians 2, verse 4, it read on. But God, being rich in mercy, because of a great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the U-turn. This is our U-turn. And God is the primary reason. The God who is rich in mercy because of his great love made us alive so we can respond in faith when we hear the gospel. Do we hear... Do we have to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel? Yes. But God did the work of opening our eyes and causing our hearts to be made alive in him spiritually. Yes, Ephesians 2.8 sums it up well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. My friends, there is nothing we contribute to our salvation. Not your faith, not your desire to do good, only your sins and trespasses. It is God who saved you, and he did it through faith, through our faith in him. So in other words, the free exercise of our faith is not contrary to the workings of God's amazing sovereign grace towards us. Number two, but foundationally, perhaps the reason why the doctrine of sovereign grace is so unsettling for us is actually the sin of pride. Pride in the sense that we tend to overrate ourselves, not knowing we are actually unable to choose God, as I touched on earlier, that we are dead, lifeless, breathless in our ability to choose God. There's also pride in the sense that the decision who gets saved is not in our hands, that we don't get a choice as to who gets saved, but that God calls the shots and we don't, and we kind of feel uncomfortable with that. And it's particularly hard, isn't it, particularly as we think of our loved ones and friends who are currently not following Jesus. But my plea is this, that as we start praying that God would open their hearts and that we can start telling them the gospel so that they have a chance to hear and to believe and upon hearing and believing to take the recipients of his spiritual blessing. But there's also pride in the sense that we think we know better than the omniscient God. And we accuse God and say, But God, that's that's not fair. That because God didn't choose certain people, then they're destined for hell. And we wave our little fist and say and tell the all knowing, holy God, that you are not being fair. But we have this image in our heads, don't we? That people are running to God and God is turning them away at the door and saying, Sorry, you're not chosen, you can't come in. However, that's not the picture that the Bible teaches us. What's actually more accurate is that the spiritual reality is that we're all running away from him. No one is choosing him. We are dead in our trespasses and by nature objects of wrath. So if we want to talk about fairness, is that we spend eternity in judgment and condemnation to face his wrath. If no one gets saved, we all justly, get what we deserved. That is fair. So what should be unsettling? Us should be this, that whilst we should be justly held to account to face his wrath, we get to go free because of Jesus' blood for us. That's not right, is it? How could it be? This is unmerited favor. My friends, this is grace. This is God's amazing sovereign grace towards us. And so for all those who put their faith in Jesus, we should be pinching ourselves every morning in disbelief. We get to walk free from the death penalty. And not just physical death, but eternal spiritual death and torment. So point three, what should our response be? For those who put their faith in Jesus, we should give him praise. This is not just a doctrine to win arguments, but one that should stir our love and affections for God and his good purposes towards us. That arises from an assurance and security and comfort in him, knowing that we are his, that he chose us, predestined us all because he wants to, and that he is working all things to effect and put that will and purpose into fruition. And that's why Paul gives praise in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he unpacks his spiritual blessing, he talks about being chosen and being predestined. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. After he talks about his inheritance that we have obtained, those who hope in Christ, in verse twelve, to the praise of his glorious, to the praise of his glory. And after he's talking about being sealed, with the Holy Spirit guarantee our inheritance, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. For Paul asks the spiritual blessings that are unpacked. He starts with praise. He intersperses his sentence, one big sentence, with praise. And he ends with praise. And we should do likewise. Number two, it should crush our pride and produce humility. As we understand God's sovereign grace towards us, it should crush our pride. It's because there is nothing we contribute to salvation. There is nothing for us to boast in. And we should be in disbelief that God chose us predestined us and in his love poured out his grace upon us and instead in this place we should be the most humble people on this planet because we have just received something amazing we don't deserve how can we then turn around to others and say we deserve something better from them understanding sovereign grace crushes our pride and produces humility and thirdly it should nurture our joy and strength in the midst of trials. And as John shared earlier in his exhortation as we began worshiping the song, what gives us the assurance as we approach 2023 that we are not to fear. It's his amazing sovereign grace towards us that he will keep us and that will produce a deep-seated joy and strength to persevere even in the midst of a potentially hard year coming ahead in the midst of adversity and brokenness. And the truth is, there is nothing in this world that will separate you from him, nor cause you to lose your inheritance, nor the love of God, nor the grace he has for you. Romans 8.35, we're going to show it on the screen, sums it up well. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, he will keep you. His grace and love will continue to be poured out upon you. And what he has set for you from before the beginning of time will no doubt last this age and for the age to come. Friends, get ready to acquire the possession of your inheritance. And finally, a response is but it calls us to action. The sovereign grace should not cause us to sit on our bums, whether for our own holiness or indeed it on mission. In fact, it should stir us towards active work. It should motivate us, knowing this is our destiny, knowing that heaven is my home, should drive us to live our lives wholly to and for Him. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear. And trembling. We don't earn our salvation, it is given. But we are called to exert continuous effort to effect our salvation, to bring alive this salvation that he has given us already. Why? For it is God who works. God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that so sovereign grace shouldn't produce laziness, but should stir us to live our lives for him. You have tasted what is good, and now you strive. And similarly for missions, knowing it is God who works to bring people's heart to life. We just share the gospel. If they hear it, if they respond to it and believe in Jesus, we know that they are chosen and predestined. Isn't that liberating? Because it no longer depends primarily on our fluency of the gospel. It doesn't primarily depend on the condition of a person is in or how impossible we think that, that person is. God does the work, He is the initiator the executor, and we are simply the messenger. If you're sitting here today and you're not yet following Jesus, thank you for coming. At this point, you might feel that you're on the outside looking in. My friend, you being here this morning, listening to this message is not an accident. He is a God who is sovereign, and remember verse 11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will, which is to bring all under Christ and possibly including you this morning. So you coming here today, listening to this message and how he's already working in your heart, drawing you in, making you lean into Jesus, these are all the work of our living God. If that's you, put your faith in Jesus this morning. If you do that, then you know that God has chosen you. He's predestined you, and all this spiritual blessing is yours. And this will be the greatest news you'll ever hear in your life. And perhaps you're here today, and your heart is still wanting to know more about Jesus. Take the opportunity. Pick up a good resource, that Austin plugged earlier, for Word One-to-One. Bring the child on a friend who brought you here to go through that Word One-to-One and to go through the gospel with you. And whatever barriers you feel between you and coming to God, God will break it down. This is the encouragement. Hear and by God's grace, believe in the good news of Jesus and experience being a beneficiary of God's amazing sovereign grace towards you. So in conclusion, my friends, what an amazing opportunity we get this morning to gaze into the grandness of a spiritual blessing in Christ for all those who trust in Jesus. That he chose us to be holy and blameless. That he predestined us for adoption as sons. That he redeemed us, making known to us his will and gave us an inheritance. But not only that, and guarantees that we will take it. But a foundation that binds all this together, the heart of all this spiritual blessing in Christ is God's good and pleasing purpose and will for us in pouring out, lavishing us, his love, his grace towards us in Christ. My friends, this is amazing sovereign grace. And church, may we ever more grow in delighting in God's amazing sovereign grace for us. And may that shape everything we do, our decisions, our time, our money, our life. May our whole life be for him, Every moment of this year, and indeed every year, till he calls us home. And as we do that, may we share the same joy and excitement that the Apostle Paul had to the praise of his glory. Amen. Please play with me. <clears throat> well, Father, Lord, we just want to bow down in, in worship and, and praise because, Lord, you have poured out your amazing. Sovereign grace towards us, that we are we get to be recipients of your spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That because of Christ's blood, our transgressions are forgiven. And that Lord, we're on a train tracks. And there is only one destiny for all those who put their faith in Jesus, and that is to call you our Father. And that is to spend eternity with you in joy, with joy, and celebrating all your grace that we are still yet to fully grasp. And so, Lord, may we, you help us. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to grasp how deep, how wide your love is for us. And may we never wonder, may we never look away from what you have given us in your love and sovereign grace towards us. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen.